Though we're listening to the sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church, may God bless you as you listen. Last week, I shared with you a question that has been kind of stirring in my own heart, uh, occupying my thinking since the spring, when I talked about the consummation of the kingdom of God in that great wedding feast, that great wedding supper of the Lamb at the end of the age. The question was, how did people, the people in Jesus' day, get to know Him? Have you ever thought about that? How did the people in Jesus' day get to know Him? How did they learn about him, about his kingdom, about his mission, about what he had to offer them? Well, very simply, it appears that mostly it happened as people ate with him. My challenge last week was, if we want to help people in our life network get to know Jesus, then perhaps, perhaps we need to reclaim that Jesus, the Jesus who likes to eat with people. The Jesus who sat himself around the tables of all kinds of different people and he just ate with them and drank with them and lived in their homes and, and, and they got to know him. And as we reclaim that about him, then we might also want to consider reclaiming that habit of eating with people ourselves. We saw last week how, the, how Jesus and the disciples and the early church opened their tables to their neighbors. In Acts 2, it tells us that they they all gathered together, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and it says that when they did that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's what I'm thinking. I know all of us love our life network. We love the people in our life network. And again, if you don't know what that is, come after, get one of these cards, and have someone explain it. It's on our website as well. I know that we all love our life network, and all the people and the activities that are part of that, that's, that's what our, life, our lives are made up of. And for sure, we want them all to come to know Jesus. And if Jesus and the early church thought that opening their tables in hospitality and food to their life networks was the best way to introduce people to the real Jesus, then perhaps it's worth us trying to do the same. So I'm going to ask us all to be a little adventurous this summer. We have roughly three months left of summer. You're going, come on, it hasn't even started yet. Well, we roughly have about three months of summer here in Saskatchewan, and I know that a lot of you have a lot of things you want to do yet. You got yards to clean up, you got house repairs to accomplish, you got some vacation to try to squeeze in there somewhere, you might have some family visiting from who knows where, and uh, you might have to work in some of all of that time as well. But here's the thing. Somewhere in those three months, could you attempt to open your table or your patio or your front deck to some of the people in your life network in your neighborhood? I'm talking about seeing if we can reclaim the strategy of Jesus of just eating and drinking with our neighbors with people in our life network. And as they get to know us, we'll just trust that Holy Spirit will help them to get to know Jesus through us. Can we do that? I think that'd be a fun challenge for this summer. And I know what you're thinking. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, that's a great idea, but, well, I anticipated your big but there, and uh, I've got an idea. There are three times in the Gospels where Jesus tells us plainly why he came to this earth in the first place. 
Three things that you already know quite well about Jesus, because you know him and you love him, and you've read his word. But there are, are three things that will also demand, these same th- three things will also demand change in our own thinking, in our own willingness to be able to adopt Jesus' strategy of hospitality and food as a means to help the world get to know Jesus better. It comes from Mark chapter 1, the first one. Mark chapter, sorry, chapter 10, verses 40, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, the Son of Man did not come to be served. You probably know this. He came to what? Serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So this first scripture, Jesus explains why he came. He explains his why, his big why. He came to serve and to give his life for us. Now, you probably already know that about Jesus, right? It's common text for us. But did you know that his followers, he expects the same of us? So this is our first point for today. Number one, Jesus requires me to selflessly open my life to others. Jesus requires me to selflessly open my life to others, just like he did. I'll be the first to admit, though, I'm kind of self-serving. I, I'm, I'm pretty guarded about my time, about my space and my stuff. I know, you know, I'm up here and all that, and I can come across pretty like, like a big extrovert sometimes, but I like my alone time. I like my downtime, my, my me time. And so I know that I'm pretty guarded about my own time, my stuff, my space. But I'll guess something here, because uh, we're not seeing the Lord add to our number daily those who are being saved, both in this church and I think most churches, that that must mean that all of us are a bit self-serving. We're all a little reluctant to open our lives to others, especially the stranger. But Mark chapter 10, verse 45, however, says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The text comes out of a a personal moment that Jesus is having with his disciples while they were on their way to Jerusalem. So this is a big-time moment in his own head and heart. So he takes the 12 aside, and he tells them what's going to happen to him. Turn to verse 33, Mark 10, 33. It says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And that's when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, I love that nickname, and they asked Jesus to save a space for them one on each side of his throne when he reaches glory. James and John and Peter, of course, were Jesus' three closest friends. It was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John all the way. And so I imagine Jesus grinning at these two brothers. He first looks over at James and he grins. Then he looks at John and he grins again. And that's when Jesus asks them a very crucial question. Are you ready for it? Because it's as much a question for us as it was for James and John. Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Can you drink the cup I drink? He asks. 
The cup he is referring to in Middle Eastern customs uh, it was, a, it was a sharing of a cup meant joining oneself to one's future. is often seen in, in business deals. They would share a cup as a way to close the deal, so to speak. And certainly he is thinking in terms here of the cup of his own suffering, and I'm sure that was part of the question, are you prepared to join me in my future and suffer with me for the gospel? Now, of course, being the impetuous sons of thunder, they said, of course we can, Absolutely. And Peter, I'm sure, would have been right there with him if he was right there with him. And that's when John says, uh, Jesus says to them, yeah, you will give your lives for me, but only the Father decides who sits on which side of my throne. And that's when he says in verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, guys. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These two things, serving and giving up your life for the gospel, we don't really emphasize these to people who are wanting to commit to Jesus very quickly, do we? We let them in on it gradually. We let them learn it gradually after they commit. Maybe it's because it's a hard lesson to learn, even for us still. And we don't want to scare anyone off. It's even hard for the best-intentioned and long-standing believer And mostly because we grew up indoctrinated by a world that says, you come first. Life is all about you. It's about your happiness, your comfort, your time, your stuff, your ambitions. The reason I like the Sons of Thunder is because, well, I think they're like me. I think about me. And my commitment to Jesus can, if I'm not careful, also be about me. But Jesus brings it back into perspective for them and for us and for me. By claiming Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, it's, you're claiming His why. Why He came. And it becomes your why you're here. Simply to serve and to give your life for the salvation of the world. Why am I on this planet? To serve like Jesus did. To give my life for His why for the gospel of the kingdom. So when you and I think about the possibility of opening our homes and our lives to our neighbors to exercise Christian hospitality as a means of letting people see the Jesus that we see, well, what's it going to mean for me? It's going to mean me learning to die for the cause of Christ and adopting a servant's heart like my Jesus has. It will mean being willing to subject my time, my place, my stuff to join Jesus in his why. It means that everything that I have in life, including my own self, become useful for him in his kingdom. For his why. Because until then, in the places where you and I refuse to die, you'll just find excuses I can't open my house to my neighbors. My house isn't, and then blank, fill in the blank, enough. It isn't big enough. It isn't decorated enough. It isn't clean enough. You might say, well, I live in an apartment. I don't don't own a house. You might say, well, I can't open my home to my neighbors. I don't have the blank time, money, energy, etc. I can't open my home to my neighbors. I'm an introvert. I'm not good with people. I can't open my home to my neighbors. I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the gift of hospitality. 
I can't open my home to my neighbors. I'm not a good cook. Yeah, those are all just excuses. They're drummed up by our own self-serving nature. I mean, think about it. If you have the power of Holy Spirit coursing through your being, there is nothing, I mean nothing, that you are not capable of for the gospel. Amen? The strength that we need, His strength, is made perfect in our weaknesses. I think that's a Bible verse somewhere. We read about James and John here, and yeah, their request is a little out of order, and and they weren't the only ones who were willing to die for Jesus, except they too took off when Jesus was arrested. John followed at a distance, but in the shadows. But after the resurrection, after seeing the living Christ come back from the grave, they eventually did lay down their lives for the gospel. In Acts 12, when the church in Jerusalem was under persecution by Herod Agrippa I, we're told that James was put to death by the sword. He became the first apostle to be martyred. His brother John was given the responsibility at the cross, if you remember, to care for Jesus' mother Mary. But after she passed, church writer Tertullian in the late 2nd and early 3rd century uh, tells us that before the Romans captured and banished John to Patmos, where he wrote the apocalypse of, of Revelation, it says that they brought him into a Colosseum and they dunked him in a vat of boiling oil. When he emerged unharmed, Tertullian tells us that the entire Colosseum converted to Christianity. All the apostles died a martyr's death except John. And after Patmos, he moved to Ephesus, and he died an ordinary death sometime after 98 A.D. Why on earth would we be reluctant or afraid to open our homes, much less our lives, to others when this is the legacy that we're part of, friends? Like Jesus, like the apostles We are called to serve and to give our lives so that many can be saved. It has to be our life ambition above all else. Second point, number two. The gospel requires us to be intentional about seeking to spend time with people far from Jesus. The gospel requires us to be intentional about about seeking time, seeking to spend time with people who are far from Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Why don't you turn with me there? It's probably time to change that water. It tastes like it's been there a while. Luke 19, you there? Verse 10. Another verse you're very familiar with. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In this second scripture, Jesus explains who he came for. The first was why he came. The second one is who he came for. And it says he came to seek and to save us. And aren't you glad he did? Amen. He left heaven. He left the perfect fellowship within the Trinity to live incarnationally among us. Among us. As one of us. To save us. When Jesus said this, guess where he was? He was eating and drinking at Zacchaeus' house. Do you remember the Sunday school song? 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Come on, sing it with me. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to eat at your house today. Something like that. Hey, yeah, good. It's been a while. It's been a while. But Zacchaeus was, as you know, the chief tax collector in the area. And he was a wealthy man. He was brought up in a believing home. But somewhere along the line, the attraction of wealth, and maybe even being dismissed his whole life as being short, he had walked away from God. And when he heard that Jesus was coming through, as the song says, and as the scripture tells us, because he was short, he climbed up a sycamore tree to get a good view of Jesus. And when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up into that spot on the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Imagine how that must have felt for him. I must stay at your house today. Now, I know tax men get a bad rap. Sorry if there's any tax men in our house. In any age, really. But when the crowd saw Jesus at Zacchaeus' house, what did they mutter? They went and muttered that he is gone to be the guest of sinners. <laughs> Jesus could have gone for supper anywhere. But he sought out a sinner's house. Why? Because for Jesus, the gospel required him to be intentional about seeking lost people. And Zacchaeus was lost, and he needed to be found. On another occasion, when Jesus was eating at another tax collector's house, this time Matthew's house, or Levi as he's also called, Matthew chapter 9, and apparently there are many tax collectors at his place. Those are all his friends, right? Why were they there? Because they were Matthew's friends and colleagues, and they were lost, and they wanted to know this Jesus. And like always, the Pharisees see this happening and they criticize Jesus to the disciples. And Jesus hears them and he butts into the conversation and he says, Listen, guys, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but who? The sick. You guys know all this. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus prioritized and he was intentional. He sought to spend the majority of his time and energy with people who needed the healing power of the gospel. Of him. He's the gospel. Lost people were his mission. And we know they should be ours. But unfortunately, sometimes we're afraid of what others might think. I had a student once who asked if it was fair to treat people like an evangelism project. I said, well, you're assuming a couple of things. One is about me, and the other is about the lost people that I seek. Let me answer it for you with a scenario, I said. You're sitting down, and you're enjoying your latest reality TV show when an Amber Alert comes across your phone informing you that a child is lost and to be on the lookout for a 12-year-old girl Blue eyes, blonde hair, wearing a denim jacket, black pants, and she has a Disney princess backpack. And surprisingly, she was last seen, the report says, in your neighborhood. 
So I said, are you going to ignore that alert because you don't want that lost girl to think she's a project for you? If you do, what does that show? It shows that you're a pretty cold and self-centered person. No, you're going to pay attention. And if you're really caring, really selfless, you're going to actually go out into your neighborhood and you're going to purposefully be watchful because you want to be able to find her. Why? Not because she's a project, but because she's somebody's lost child. So for sure, if you've been living on your block for some time and you finally invite people from your neighborhood over for a barbecue or, or just for drinks in the evening and, and at one point in the evening you interrupt the party and you share the gospel, well, then they're going to feel a little manipulated by that. But if you invite people over from your neighborhood for a barbecue or just for a night of drinks in a, in a hot evening and your, your goal is just to have a good time with them and make a few new friends then no one will ever question your motivations and no one will ever feel like a project because they're not. They're the father's lost children and you love them like he does. But they'll never know that if we don't spend time with them and seek them. Jesus' method of seeking lost people was eating and drinking with them. Sometimes people invited him over. Sometimes like Zacchaeus, he invites himself over to their place. And when they expressed a need to him, he met that need, didn't he? Eat, pray, heal. That was sort of it. Eat, pray, love, maybe, is another one. I heard that somewhere before. That was his strategy. And when Jesus met needs, lost people got curious about the gospel as a result. Friends, last week I shared some difficult stats about the decline of the church in Canada. I think it's time for the church to take up Jesus' urgent motivation to seek and to save lost people. And not just to bring them to church, but to get them into our homes so that they can know Jesus through us. Number three, the gospel compels us to use our homes to introduce people to Jesus. The gospel compels us to use our homes to introduce people to Jesus. Luke chapter 7 Verse 34 to 35. Turn with me there. Luke 7, 34 to 35. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In this third scripture, Jesus explains how he came. First we had the why, then the who, now the how. And he, he explains his method. It says he came eating and drinking. He said that. Isn't it ironic that we, the church, have defined holiness, usually, as exclusion from the world, abstinence from certain foods and drink, and separation from real people who need the gospel. But isn't that exactly the opposite of what Jesus came to do, in his own words? His motivation, means, and method should inform ours, but for so long it hasn't. The church started out as a grassroots, home-based movement. Today, it's about as disconnected from our homes as it can possibly be. And that's because practically we like to keep those two separate, home and church. Spirituality happens here in the sanctuary, doesn't it? My real life happens at home. 
We don't know how to use our homes to introduce people to Jesus. And that's why, as we learned last week, the church is shrinking in our culture, both in its effect, but also in its number. The church doesn't want a spirituality, or the world does not want a spirituality that's disconnected from real life. They want to see the two connected. But it's not all lost just yet. That's why that there, that's why there is a way that we can change all of that by, first of all, reclaiming Jesus. Reclaiming who he really is. He's, he was the God-man who liked to eat and drink with sinners. His motivation, his means and method of incarnating himself into, the, into lost people was to have people into his life. And it's going to mean reclaiming hospitality and food and opening our homes, our, our porches, our, our backyards, just op- opening up our lives to say, hey, meet me at Tim's tomorrow or let's go out for supper tomorrow or whatever. We've got to stop keeping our religion separate from our home life. We have to see the two as the same thing. As Christians, we need to start fighting against the rampant isolation and individualism that is within our culture. Isolation exists because we have a culture that feeds that individualism. Instead of sitting on the front porch and talking with neighbors as they go by or offering them a glass of iced tea like it was in the good old days, we now often enter our homes through our garages, shut the doors behind us, and we don't have to see anybody and they don't have to see us. And our neighbors do the same thing. We surround our homes with privacy fences and we eat dinner alone and we vicariously live out community by watching reality TV shows and our neighbors do the same thing. Yet even in our chosen isolation, we have an insatiable need for connection because give us two seconds of downtime and what do we do? We reach for our phones and we scroll through Facebook and Instagram to see how all our friends are doing. So let's break those stupid, bad habits and let's all try to be a bit more adventurous this summer and let's be like Jesus and reclaim hospitality and food for the benefit of our neighborhoods. We have roughly three months left of summer. Again, I I hate to remind you of that, but so what if in those three months you attempted to open your table, your patio, your front porch, whatever, to your neighbors or to some of the people in your life network. If you're an apartment dweller, invite a bunch of people to go to the park with you. Go out and splurge and buy a couple of buckets of KFC. Three months is enough time to host one good summer party. I think the city will even help you block off your your block for for a block party if you want one. If you want to be real adventurous, try one each month. July 1st is Canada Day. It's a Friday. What if you aim to do something with your neighbors on Canada Day and maybe close the night off by going to the fireworks show together? The first Monday in August is a civic holiday. That's August 1st. September 5 is Labor Day. There's all kinds of reasons to get together. You could just make one up. You could just get together and have an unbirthday party for everybody on the block. No holiday needed. Even if you just say, hey, you know, the pandemic reminded me that I need to get to know my neighbors 
And so I thought I would just invite everyone over. I'm going to drag the barbecue out from the backyard into the front yard, bring a lawn chair, BYOB, bring your own beverage. I'll put on some hot dogs, and we'll just have a great time together. Get some lawn games out, whatever. So if you're up for the challenge, I encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, create a guest list. Send out some invites. Better yet, go door-to-door throughout your neighborhood and, and even ask for some help. Just say, this is what I want to do. I'm doing it, and I want to invite you over. Come and enjoy some fun together. You can go to our, our Facebook page today or even onto our website, onto the Life Groups page, and you can download a barbecue checklist there and just kind of walk you through everything you need to know. Then on that day, drag the barbecue out from the backyard, like I said, to the front lawn. Uh, get out some lawn games, put on some, Christ- put on some music, not Christian music though, okay? Uh, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant, that, that old, friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. That's gone, okay? Put on some new music. <laughs> the church has lawn games that uh, you can borrow. It has tables that you can borrow, plastic tables. Uh, it has a propane fire pit that you can borrow. It has some burning barrels that you can borrow. Tell people that to just bring a side dish and, and bring over their own burgers or, or whatever they want and just have a party in your front yard. But remember, when you do, make sure that you remember too that there are different cultures represented on your block and some of them don't eat beef, some of them don't eat pork. So you can kind of avoid all that awkwardness by providing something that's halal and kosher. Chicken is always a, a really good alternative for that. Just make sure that on the labeling it does say kosher or halal. And you can go to a good butcher and they'll help you to know what to buy. Uh, but, and then also prepare it in its own separate tinfoil pan, uh, separate from all the rest of the food. Just part of being loving on your neighbor and serving them, right? And dying to self. It can be a bit of work, but you know what? It can be so much fun. If you've never done it before, it will definitely be a bit of work. But have a great time this summer trying it. So friends, let's reclaim summer. Let's reclaim hospitality and food like Jesus did and let's show the city that Lawson Alliance knows how to party. Can we do that? Let's try it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these, this word, these words, three reasons why Jesus himself said he came to this world, three reasons that should be manifest in our own lives. And Lord, we want them to be. We all confess that we do. But we've grown up in the habits that create isolation, they create separateness. And that is not helpful to the gospel. So Lord, we confess our own laziness. We confess our own selfishness that has kept people out of our homes, even Christian people out of our homes. We've lost Christian hospitality. But Lord, help us to reclaim it all. Hospitality and food for the gospel. In Jesus' name. 